Welcome to Table Lore. Table Lore is a storytelling podcast designed to be continued by you. Each episode focuses on new locations, characters, and spooks, which can be used for creative projects or tabletop role-playing games, such as Monster of the Week or One-Shot D&D campaigns. Season 1 is a tour across the United States, and a D100 role determines where we're going next. I'm your co-host, Megan. And I'm your other co-host, Cass. Before we begin, remember that Table Lore is a fictional storytelling podcast, and while sometimes we will explore real legends, nothing we say should be treated as fact. Our stories center on the strange and unexplainable, but sometimes they are more horror-based. Audience discretion is advised. This week is a special holiday-themed episode. Merry Christmas, Megan. Merry Christmas. What are you hoping to get from Santa this year? This is really lame, but I'm really hoping that I get an air purifier from Santa. Oh, well, that's a boring adult answer. What do you want for Christmas, Cass? Well, probably that new Pokemon game that's coming out and maybe some Legos. Oh, maybe Santa will bring that to you. I hope so. I hope he doesn't drag me into an extra-dimensional strange magic land. Now that's extremely specific, Cass. Well, it is. And perhaps that is slightly what our story's about today. Hmm. Guess you'll have to wait and find out. I guess so. Well, it's been a minute since we've been in the podcast studio. How are you feeling? I'm feeling ready and willing to win it risk it all and take home the gold tonight thank you oh those are big feelings i'm excited to be back here uh it's been several months since we last released and recorded an episode because grad school because grad school but we're really excited to be here uh and stay tuned to the end of the episode where we'll talk more about the future of the podcast Cass, would you like to introduce some of the lore for our story today? Yeah. One piece of lore is straight out of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I think this creature is mentioned specifically in um, the Ravenloft book that came out, I think, last year. Um, So you can read more about that there. And the second piece of lore is because Megan and her ancestors are quite German. Um, and there's a very famous German cryptid by the name of Compass that we will also mention. Yeah, so a slight detour from the usual beat of the podcast. Our story today will begin in Kansas, a state that we've already visited, and it will also take place in Germany today. So I suppose without further ado, shall we begin? How about you take it away? Our story tonight begins, as any good story does, with a group of adventurers. In the dimly lit, rust-orange, shag-carpeted basement of the Milner home, siblings Riley and Wit are arguing over whether Wit, the younger and uninvited sibling, can join Riley's Dungeons & Dragons campaign with her friends. 
You'll just slow us down, Wit. We don't have time to explain everything to you, Riley reasons to her nine-year-old sister, whose eyes are about to pour over in tears. But mom said I could, Wit retorts. Everyone knows mom's rules when, so Riley concedes and allows her sister to sit on the couch next to the table her friends are gathered at. Here, Riley says, handing her sister a handful of dice. Keep rolling these until you count to a million. Wit was pleased, even though she wasn't sure how to count to a million, and sat there peacefully while rolling her dice. The triple dog darers, Riley's groups of adventurers, is thick in a battle against the Christmas-time cryptid Krampus and his monstrous sidekick, the Bagman. The group's dungeon master, Emily, smirks with murderous glee, interrupting the player's celebration of defeating Krampus. Not so fast, my dear adventurers. Can everyone remind me what their passive perception is? Riley and her friends groan, and there are several exclamations of, but why though? Before Emily speaks up again. As you take a beat to consider Krampus's dead body, something lunges out of his bag and slashes its claws across the druid's back, dealing 12 damage to her. Brave adventurers, roll again for initiative. Oh no, I think I know what this is, says Nate. Well, you can roll a history check to confirm that knowledge in-game, smiles Emily, raising her eyebrows. Uh, sure. I got a 19, Nate responds, looking expectantly at Emily. Ah, yes. You have heard tales of this creature, the Bag Man. Long ago, an old Barovia, an adventurer, sought to escape certain death by abandoning his party and hiding in a bag of holding. But... His attempts to escape the bag of holding failed, and he never found his way out, only finding an infinity of magical storage space. Eventually, the strange magical forces within the bag took a toll on him mentally, as well as physically. The adventurer became a monstrous version of his former self, his body and limbs elongated and twisted, his nails became sharp and blackened. Now, every night, the bagman slips out of a random bag of holding, still searching for his home. When he doesn't find it, he drags someone back into the bag with him and leaves a small trinket behind. Some say, if you speak too loudly over a bag of holding, or whisper, follow my voice into one three times, the bagman will come get you next. All right, let's kill this fool, Frankie exclaims before rolling a d20. Upstairs, the adventurer's parents mingle in the kitchen and trade tales of their own. We waited eight hours outside of Walmart's loading dock to get our kids the new Game Boy, one mother enthused, other parents shaking their heads and groaning at the thought. I'm just glad it's Christmas Eve, finally, another parent stated. It's all almost over, another agreed. For the adults, Christmas magic had long disappeared and was replaced with long haunting tales of sales and too much mail. But for the kids downstairs, Christmas magic burst as wildly as a fireball from Riley's sorcerer. The bagman was defeated, much to the adventurer's relief, and the evening concluded with a gift from their DM, a bag of holding to carry your treasures and, if you're lucky, to assist in your real-life adventure, Emily explained. Riley held the small homemade bag of holding in her hand to examine it. Her name stitched delicately in red thread popped in contrast to the dark brown fabric of the bag. She loosened the ties and found a bagman mini figurine inside, which caused a round of laughter amongst the adventurers. Oh no, Riley, the bagman's gonna get you, Kate teased. 
Wit chimed in from the couch, concerned. Is the bagman going to get me too? No, Wit. The bagman isn't real, Riley comforted. It's just a silly story. But like any group of adventurers knows, stories, though not always real, are where monsters go to be contained. And unbeknownst to Riley and Wit, their story was just beginning. After all the guests returned safely to their warm and cozy homes, Riley, Wit, and their parents settled in for their usual Christmas Eve tradition, reading Clement Clark Moore's famous Christmas poem. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plum danced in their heads. And... As usual, by the second stanza, Wit was fast asleep in her mother's lap. The excitement of Christmas too much for her little body to contain. Gently, her mother lays Wit in the comfort of her bed, and soon Riley, tucked away in hers, is also fast asleep. But no sooner than she falls asleep, she is abruptly awoken by Wit, standing at her bedside, insisting that she heard a thump on the roof. It's Santa, Riley. I just know it, she whispered excitedly. Wit, it was probably nothing. Go back to sleep, Riley groaned groggily. Please come look with me. I bet he's still here. Wit tugged at Riley's arm to pull her out of her bed, and though Riley resisted, eventually she gave in to her sister's pleas and they crept down the stairs together. Nothing but the warm yellow glow of the Christmas tree next to the fireplace was waiting for the girls downstairs, and disappointed, but still buzzing with excitement, which suggests they sleep on the couches and wait for Santa to arrive instead. Riley, just a few weeks away from her 16th birthday, was hesitant. She had long stopped believing in Santa, but she didn't want Wit to miss out on the magic, so she agreed. Riley ran quickly upstairs to grab her pillow and wrap her bathrobe around her for warmth, and decided to sneak a few treats hidden in her new bag of holding with her too. I'm going to sleep here, Wit grins up at Riley, looking adorably small on the big brown family room couch. No, you most certainly are not. You, she grabs Wit under the arms and lifts her up. You are going to sleep here, she finishes as she sets Wit down on the smaller of the two couches. And I'm going to sleep on the big couch because, well, I'm bigger than you. Wit giggles and curls up on the smaller couch, just the top half of her face peeking out from under the oversized flannel blanket. Good night, Riley. Merry Christmas. Wit yawns. Yeah, Merry Christmas, you little halfling. Riley pops her earbuds in and scrolls to her favorite Death Cab for Cutie album on her iPod, which almost instantly puts her to sleep. Riley startles awake suddenly, just as the last notes of a lack of color fade out. She immediately feels a pit in the bottom of her stomach, like something is terribly wrong. She glances over at Wit, who is snuggled up under the blanket, fast asleep. Riley scans the room. Everything looks fine. The last of the coals in the fireplace are nearly out, and the tree is still lit, emanating a warm glow throughout the room. Then she sees it. On the floor. Her new bag of holding. A sickeningly long arm extending from its mouth, and then another. Nails long, sharp, and blackened. And then the rest of the creature emerges, impossibly tall and slender, head obscured by a stringy matting of long hair, bristles running down its spine. The creature is too tall to fully stand up in the room, but it is reaching toward wit. Riley is frozen in fear. 
Everything in her body is screaming at her to run, or hide, or do anything but be here right now. But just as the creature's hand closes around her sister's ankles, Riley's protective instinct kicks in. Stop! She shouts, and the bagman slowly turns its head toward her, inspecting her for just a second before lunging with its other hand and grabbing her arm, pulling the two girls toward the bag. Just as quickly as they're swept up by the bagman, they're dropped on a hard, stony road in a strange, unknown place. What's that smell? Wit asked almost immediately. Riley didn't know how to describe the rank, rotten scent that filled the air. It was unlike anything she'd encountered before. It was dark, except for a few faint lights hanging from the old wooden structures that lined the street. Riley, where are we? Wit whimpered, hugging Riley's waist tightly for comfort. Both their hearts are pounding, and fear fills them to the brim, neither knowing where they are or how they got there. Who was that? I don't think it was Santa, Wit asks while Riley attempts to get her bearings. It wasn't Santa, but it could have been the bagman. But he's equally as fictional, right? But if he's not real, then how is all of this happening? This is just a dream. It has to be just a dream, Riley decides to herself. In the corner of her eye, Riley catches a tall, mangled shadow slithering along the walls through a flicker in the lantern light down the road, and she grabs Wit's hand and starts to run. With no particular direction in mind, the two girls run down the streets, growing more and more aware of the emptiness surrounding them. Despite the rows and rows of buildings, there are no people to be found. A continued sense of eeriness creeps up Riley's spine, which heightens as a voice calls at them up ahead. Hark! The voice beckons to the girls. Rather than responding, they continue running until Riley points towards a stack of barrels and motions for Wit to follow her and hide behind them. Just as the two girls sit to catch their breath, a voice calls from the other side of the barrels. Hail, fellow, well met. I am Honora, daughter of Baron Friedrich. What for are thee running from? Still convinced this is all a dream, Riley ignores Honora and squeezes her eyes shut, pinches her arm, and mutters to herself, Wake up, wake up. But when she opens her eyes again, she sees the young, blonde, and wide-eyed girl beaming down at her, curiosity written all over her face. Hail, fell. Yeah, you're the daughter of Baron whatever. Got it, Riley interrupted. I'm Whitney, daughter of Daniel, but you can call me Wit. Wit introduced after jumping out of her hiding spot to greet Enora. Wit, get back here, Riley demanded. Hail, Whitney's Daniel's daughter, from hence art ye journeying. We're kind of lost. Where are we? Wit answered. Thou art at the place called Bergen, Honora stated. Bergen? Like burgers? Wit looked to Riley to answer. That's stupid, Wit. Look, at, look, this is just all a dream, okay? It's time to wake up. Right, if this is a dream, is it my dream or yours? It's my dream, I think, except I don't know why you're here. Thy words, thou art strangers to hear, wherefore comest thou? Well, we came out of this bag, Wit said, holding out the bag of holding from her palm, which visibly confused Honora and caused her to take a step backward. But I guess we're from Topeka. Topeka, Honora sounded out. Suddenly, a loud shrieking echoed through the alley, causing Honora to freeze in place and Riley to yank Wit back down next to her behind the barrels. 
and Nora quickly followed and crouched down next to them. We must make haste. It is not safe here, she whispered. It took some convincing, but Anora, who didn't know what to make of these two strangers, persuaded Riley and Wit, who had no better options, to follow her back to the castle. Wit bounced up and down next to Anora, excited and somehow fearless, while Riley hesitated. If it weren't for Wit, Riley would have just stayed behind. But what made that terrible, horrible shriek? The bagman? Something else? The more time that passed, the less convinced Riley became that this was a dream. As she escorted the girls back to her father, Honora recounted the evening's events to the girls. Honora and her family were sitting by the fire while her father, the Baron, drunkenly regaled his family with the tales he witnessed during that evening's traditional Christmas Eve feast held in the castle's great hall. It was brilliant and cheerful as always, but for Honora, it was the evening alone with her family that she always looked forward to, especially her father's annual Yuletide poetry reading. Twas night before Christmas and all through yon castle, not a creature was stirring, nay, not but a mouse. That doesn't rhyme, Megan. Mousel. But the poetry recital was interrupted by a big gust of chilled wind bursting through the doors, instantly killing the fire. Silence overtook the room as the family waited to see what followed the wind, knowing this Christmas Eve visitor could only mean one thing, compass. The tall, shadowy beast stepped slowly in the room, taking his time and filling the room with fear as he grew closer with each step, his eyes glowing red, but the only light in the darkened room and his steamy breath the only noise. Honora's father stretched his arms out to shield his wife and children from Krampus, ready to fight the beast if need be, but to no avail. As Krampus approached, he plucked the Baron Friedrich off the ground and tossed him aside, then reached for Honora's youngest brother, Benick, who shrieked as, as Krampus's large clawed hand closed around his body and lifted him off the ground and flung him backwards into the sack hanging on his back. The sack, seemingly no larger than a gallon or two, opened into a large gaping hole with the faintest glow of red streaming out of it and swallowed Benick whole. Fighting back tears, Honora had stood up and demanded that Krampus return her brother, but the beast, unafraid of the 15-year-old's bravery, leaned his face closer to hers and let out a cackle that grew louder and louder as he backed away and left the room in a whoosh, gone as quickly as he arrived. Honora's mother wept and held her younger sisters tightly to her chest. Her father sat up, reaching for his head, which had a large gash in it from hitting it on the side of the table. Honora had found a candle and lit it, ready to examine the scene. What was a cozy evening together was now a nightmare for her and other families throughout Bergen. We must make haste, she barked, prepared to go out and find her brother. Nay, Honora, Krampus has chosen Benick. Rescue is for not. Her family responded before demanding that everyone return to their chambers where they were to stay for the rest of the night. But Honora, clever as ever, snuck through the large double window in her room and decided to go find Benick herself. Finding Riley and Wit felt like a remarkable stroke of luck, and she decided that, if necessary, they could be the perfect bait for Krampus. 
she could make a trade, the girls for her brother. Of course, she wouldn't tell them that, though. But if they were to be bait, they would need to blend in a bit more. Their strange clothing looked too foreign. Krampus would never want them. So she devised her plan. Honora, with Riley and Wit in tow, stop in front of large wooden doors and set on a tall, seemingly endless stone wall. Honora knocked three times, then announced, It is Honora, daughter of Baron Friedrich. The doors slowly opened, pulled by two large men wearing armor. Honora, thou wast forbidden from leaving these walls, one of the men grumbled. Something about the interaction made Riley believe this wasn't the first or only time Honora has snuck out of the castle. Following Honora, the girls brushed right by the guards, seemingly ignoring them, and she led them through the castle. It was chilly inside, colder inside even than it was outside, and Riley and Wit wished they had something warmer to put on than their pajamas and bathrobes. They climbed a winding set of stone stairs and walked down a hallway filled with candlesticks on one side and the other full of large windows overlooking the town. Between the doors and candlesticks, portraits of Honora's family hung. As they walked down the hallway, Honora paused ever so briefly in front of Benick's portrait and let out the smallest sigh. In her mind, she promised to find Benick, no matter the cost. Despite being cold and somewhat drafty, the castle seemed cozy, almost even homey. Wit, who after noticing Honora pause, tugged on Riley's sleeve to get her attention. Do you think Honora is a princess? She whispered softly, full of curiosity. No, Wit, she's a baron's daughter, not a princess, Riley explained. What knowest thou of the princess? Honora interjected, overhearing their conversation. Um, well, nothing, actually. Wit just thinks you might be a princess, Riley responds. Oh my, how nice. Wit to Daniel's daughter, me pray shall to a princess nigh. Honora chuckles. What did she say? Wit whispers again, confused by Honora's middle English. I have no idea, Wit. Just play along, okay? Riley suggests. Me at the sureth hopeth. Wit jests. Honora stops in front of an ornately carved wooden door that appears to be locked and reaches beneath the scarf covering her hair to pull out what looks like a nail and attempts to pick it, which she successfully does. The door opens to reveal a large bedroom, which they assume must be Honora's. Aside from a surprisingly big four-poster bed, not much furnishes the room. Wit trots over to the bed and plops herself on top, foolishly thinking that the bed looked soft and fluffy when really it was full of hay and instantly sent her into a sneezing fit. Why is this so itchy? Wit asks. It's hay, Wit, Riley explains and makes a mental note to show Wit more fantasy films once they get home. Or if they get home, she catches herself thinking. Riley stands in front of the bedroom window Honora escaped from earlier in the evening and looks out at the town below. From above, it didn't look all that different from what she was used to, except that everything was different. The roofs were made from thatch, the walls a mixture of wood and some medieval plaster mix, and the smell. It was the smell that overwhelmed every observation. Riley could hardly believe these people could live like this. As she stands there, she begins to come to terms with the fact that she was not home anymore, and that if... If this isn't a dream, that they had somehow traveled in time, 
and that somehow the bag of holding was the catalyst for all of this. It doesn't make sense, Riley accidentally says out loud. What doesn't? Wit asks. How, how we're here, wherever this is. Thou art in Bergen, Honora begins before Riley interrupts. Yeah, Bergen, I, I know, but we're not from here. I don't know how we got here. Thou must have traveled with the merchants. No, no, it's this bag. Somehow this bag brought us here. Riley sits on the ground and examines the bag closer, holding it up to the window to see in the moonlight. The bag is empty, except for a few Hershey's chocolate-shaped Christmas bells, her favorite Christmas treat, and the bagman figurine was missing. Maybe it was the bagman, wet whimpers, finally realizing what happened. Bagman? Honora asks. But the bagman is just a D&D character. It can't be real. Riley, what else could it be? Didn't Emily say it came from a bag of holding? Yeah, but it's just, it can't be real. It can't be. Canst thou tell me more of this bagman? Riley does her best to explain the bagman to this medieval girl, who decided she didn't need to try and understand it, because she already knew Krampus, who is well known for stuffing children into sacks, and who she mistakes for the bagman. Haste, thou must pass with care. Anora beckons for the girls to follow her back down the hallways again. Careful to pause again in front of Bennick's portrait, Anora explains that this is her brother. The beast that captured Bennick, Anora began. The bagman? Wit asks, and Anora nods. The bagman lurketh out yonder in Bergen. Haste, let us find him and rescue my brother. And get the bagman to send us home, Wit exclaims. Yea, and thou can return to Topeka. Riley hesitates, not wanting to go out and track down the beast, but feels like they're out of options. It's hard to believe that this medieval teenager can help them get back home, but already this night, this dream, has been stranger than anything Riley could imagine. Honora leads the sisters back out of the castle, taking care to sneak past guards and staff. If this wasn't all so strange, Riley would be impressed by Honora's roguelike skills. How far away are we going, Wit puffs. Not far now, Wit Daniel's daughter, Honora answers, continuing to guide the girls deeper into the city, taking all kinds of turns and twists in the alleyways, brave and without fear. Hark, here is the place, Honora stops at an intersection of two cobblestoned roads. Torches that had been burning on the adjacent storefronts extinguish in a gust of cold air. The sound of fabric dragging heavily across the ground grows closer. Out of the darkness, a horned, hulking figure comes into focus, trudging slowly toward the girls. Hail, Krampus, the bargain piece, Honora announces suddenly. Riley's stomach once again drops as she realizes that she and Wit have been tricked. Honora is here to rescue her brother, and she and Wit are her bargaining chips. Rye, I think this stinky Santa is going to help us get back home, Wit whispers excitedly, grasping Riley's hands. Before Riley can respond to her naive little sister, the figure shrugs a small satchel off his back and reaches an arm down into it, nearly up to his shoulder. Tight in Krampus's grasp, Bennick is hoisted from the sack and is, and is unceremoniously dropped on the ground. Honora rushes over, hugging Bennick tightly. Brother, art how well? Krampus picks up the satchel and points a finger towards Riley and Wit. 
beckoning them to approach him. Wit tugs Riley's hands, trying to pull her towards the menacing figure. Come on, Rye Guy, you don't need to be sad anymore. Let's go home. Wit smiles charmingly. No, I, I don't think this is right. Riley trails off. Maybe this was the right thing to do, she thinks to herself. This is really some messed up D&D fueled dream, right? Come, children, let me take you home. Krampus's deep, gravelly voice assures them. With trepidation, Riley lets Wit lead her towards Krampus. In here, children, Krampus points at the satchel. Thanks, Santa, Wit says before picking up the satchel and pulling it on her foot like a sock. Whoa, Rye, this is crazy. This bag can fit my whole leg. Before Riley can protest, Wit is gone. Again, leaving aside her better judgment for the sake of her little sister's safety, Riley follows her into the bag. When Riley and Wit wake up the next morning, they are pleased to discover themselves snuggled warmly on the sofas next to the golden Christmas tree with Christmas presents spilling out beneath it. Santa came! Look, Riley, presents! Wit bounces up and down on Riley's pillow. Up the stairs, Riley hears her mother chuckle, and her father's voice calls out, Await for us! A smile spreads to Riley's cheeks. It was all a dream, she assures herself. She pulls the blanket off and stands up to stretch. As she does, she notices that the ceiling, usually a slightly aged off-white, is now pitch black and endless. Wit, she begins... I don't think we're in Kansas. Megan, I think you just plagiarized one of the more famous uh, movie quotes of all time there at the end. Shh, nobody has to know. Okay, well, they'll probably know. Well, probably, but that's okay. The point is, they're not in Kansas anymore, Cass. Yeah, they're inside the bag still. They're still stuck inside the bag? Yeah. So it seems like we've, well, we've tried to do a lot here this episode with a time travel, a compass, a bag man, a 2003 energy. Don't know if anybody uh, noticed that. We never mentioned it. It was 2003. These girls are from 2003. But that's okay. Megan's favorite year, a good year for Megan. Is it? Yeah, I mean, Transatlanticism came out, favorite album of all time. I don't think I was listening to Transatlanticism in 2003, though, but yes. No, but your dad was, because he's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so the girls are still stuck in the bag, and... uh, Yeah, Anora really pulled a bamboozle on them. Well, they were just so, you know, easy to bamboozle. Well, yeah, they were tossed into 1403 middle europe i don't want to be in middle europe in 1403 a lot of plague going around at the time a lot of stink (laughs) not a lot of indoor plumbing not enough for my taste not enough for my taste either yeah we both we both enjoy a good indoor plumbing when we can get our hands on it well we hope that you enjoyed our special christmas episode The future of the podcast is something that's been on a lot of your minds lately. 
Um, many of you have noticed that we've been absent for a while. And like we've explained on our social media accounts, it just got too hard to manage our time on top of being in grad school, working, and all the other different million directions that we've been pulled. We had to put the podcast on the back burner for the time being. However, we do plan to now release new episodes on the first Tuesday of every month for the foreseeable future. As our schedules lighten up a little bit, we hope to increase the amount of content that we provide for you. But for now, you can look forward to new episodes on the first Tuesday of every month. Yeah, I'm excited to, to get back in the saddle more often. Me too. So our next episode will come out in January, and we'll be going to South Carolina, which we rolled for at the end of episode nine, and we will from there on resume our tour of the 50 United States, and as always, stick around for some gameplay suggestions. See you next time. Okay, storytellers, now it's your turn to create the rest of the story. Roll a d6 for inspiration about how to continue this story. If you roll a 1 or a 2, you and your party play as Anora and her allies. What would have happened if Riley and Wit didn't show up to help save Benick? Roleplay your adventures chasing down Krampus in this medieval town of Bergen in an attempt to rescue Anora's brother. If you roll a 3 or a 4... You and your party play as Riley, Wit, and their friends. When and how do the girls realize they are trapped in a magical, extra-dimensional space instead of at their home? What strange creatures, friend or foe, exist in the bag of holding with them? Are they able to escape and return to the real world? If not, what happens to them in the bag? If you roll a 5 or 6, Somehow, Riley and Wit manage to escape the bag of holding and return to our plane of existence. You and your party play as the sisters and their friends on a Christmas Eve in the future, with a plan to end the Bagman's terrible kidnappings once and for all. How do you succeed in ridding all of space and time of the Bagman? What does it take to stop such a creature?